If you cast your mind back to the time before COVID, and then tragically during COVID, there was one story after another about huge failures in quality and safety in residential aged care, and how the standards which were supposed to ensure a good level of care were either inadequate, or the body which was supposed to monitor those standards was simply not doing its job. Well, some of this may be happening under our noses to our youngest children. New research suggests there are serious deficiencies in many childcare centres which could be profoundly affecting kids' development and that, breathtakingly, there are insufficient standards to hold these centres to account. The research was into the quality of nutrition and food given in early childhood education and care, particularly long-day care. Kids are going hungry, being fed low-quality food, and in some centres, childcare workers educators, are giving kids their own food. It also helps to explain why kids' behaviour deteriorates and becomes harder to manage from morning through to the afternoons. Kids may be hungry, and perhaps the educators are too. Researchers have also found that parents can't necessarily believe that the menus pinned to the notice board are actually what their children are being given. The research comes from the Child Development Education and Care Group at the Queensland Brain Institute. Its group leader is Professor Karen Thorpe. We're from the Queensland Brain Institute and brains don't function without food. And we invest a lot of money in early childhood education and care. We want children to be able to learn. And quite simply, brains don't work on no fuel. And there are a lot of things about micronutrients that affect ongoing brain development. And we are talking about the first five years of life. It's the time when we have the most rapid and extensive brain development that set the foundations for ongoing life. One of the early studies which raised alarm bells was a survey of 1,700 early childhood education and care services in Queensland, looking at whether they provided meals compared to the centre's location and area of disadvantage. We found two things about areas. The more distant you are, so the remote or regional you are, the less likely you are to have food provision in your early education and care service. And when we look at social disadvantage, the more disadvantaged your community that you live in and the place where your childcare centre is situated, the more likely you are not to have food provision or alternatively, another way of saying that is parents are required to bring food from home. And these are the families least able to provide food and many are living in circumstances of food insecurity. Professor Karen Thorpe. Remember... These are centres where kids, from the age of a few months to when they start school, can be spending most of their days and receiving most of their nutrition. Another researcher in Karen's group, Dr Bonnie Serrell, wanted to see what was going on in much more detail. Bonnie looked at metropolitan childcare centres, investigating the quality of food and the mealtime environment, comparing centres which provided food versus centres where the parents sent in food with their children each day. We were most concerned about a lack of food. Across the board, the quality of the food was low. The meals were not aligned with the Australian Dietary Guidelines. And even more concerning, there wasn't enough food, particularly in the centres where parents had to provide food from home. And in the centres that were experiencing the highest levels of disadvantage, the children in these centres were actually arriving hungry, and the educators were asking children not to eat too much food at once to make sure their food lasted throughout the whole day. Gosh, and so a hungry child's coming in, the educator, the childcare worker, is anxious, 
because there's a limit to the food in their lunchbox, if indeed there is any food. And so hold on because we want to spread it out throughout the day. Yes, and educators had really high levels of concern about this and we witnessed educators giving their own food to children. They are low-income workers and work that we've done on the workforce suggests, particularly if they don't live with their parents, younger people, or they don't have a spouse, that they're living under extreme financial stress. So if they're living under extreme financial stress, that will automatically indicate to us that there will be some stress around food security. So yes, we have educators who are giving away their own food when in fact they themselves might be living under those pressures of food insecurity. Karen Thorpe. And when Bonnie Searle looked at centres which actually provided food, the picture wasn't that different. Again, the quality across the board was was not in line with Australian dietary guidelines. Again, there wasn't enough food, particularly when the food was pre-plated. And there was definitely a lack of vegetables and a lack of meat or protein sources in the meals. There was also a worrying pattern of behaviour through the day, which may well have been linked to food. We did look at the emotional interactions between teachers and children, and that included the level of conflict. So in the centres that were experiencing the highest levels of disadvantage, we found that the quality of those emotional interactions were lower and that the conflict actually increased across the day. So if you had both hungry educators and hungry kids, it's not a good combination? Definitely not. And we did see quite high levels of stress across the board as well. Obviously, that's not ideal. And we know that if we give children choices to make with boundaries, that that sets up good patterns of eating and food choices throughout life. But beyond that, the emotional environment in early education and care is very, very important. Our own data suggests that it is that that predicts children's outcomes, not only as they enter school, but right through to their secondary school years. So we've done some big analyses looking at that. You do learn a lot in mealtimes. And if the discussion is eat this, eat that, save that for later, we would call something like a mealtime or a sleep time a barometer event. In services that are very high quality, what we would see is those really good interactions in mealtimes. They don't see mealtimes as outside the curriculum. But in some services, that isn't what we see. It's driven by some of the stresses that sit around them. Competition between childcare centres makes a difference, but not necessarily in the quality of food. What the Queensland Brain Institute work has found is that if one centre offers food, others in the same market will follow. But that may create other issues as they keep costs down. Karen Thorpe again. The suggestion we have from our larger scale study is that in some services, food is provided, but it's at the cost of other provisions. Such as? Such as levels of staffing. You're going to provide good food, you have fewer staff on. You have things like longer sleep rest times so that you can reduce your staffing and you reduce the staffing levels to the minimum. Karen, I find this almost heartbreaking to talk about because our most disadvantaged kids, and it's not just in rural areas, it's in metropolitan areas, yep. coming into what should be a place of safety and nurturing and preparation for life are perpetuating the disadvantage. Yes, and it's interesting that the recent reports, the ACCC report and the interim report from the Productivity Commission, in fact, 
feed provision is sort of silent in those reports. It is heartbreaking and it is a double jeopardy for disadvantaged kids. We've got school programs to provide meals and, of course, in other countries in the world there are school dinners provided to ensure that children have A, access to sufficient calories, but B, to nutritious foods. But we don't seem to think about those first five years where children are in early education and care which is is arguably the most important time because of the brain development. And it is heartbreaking that we are perpetuating poverty in some ways because it doesn't matter how good a quality the service is. If children are hungry, you don't learn. This is a national problem. The United Workers Union, which represents educators in the early childhood education and care sector, did a survey which made similar findings. Helen Gibbons is the UWU's Executive Director of Early Childhood. It's a startling reminder that the early education system that we've got in this country doesn't really put children at the centre of it. This is a system that all sorts of things get in the way of providing best quality environments for little children, including best quality nutrition for little children. What we found was that the system for providing meals for little children in long daycare centres isn't really set up to make sure that those children are getting all the nutrition that they need. It's really set up around profit and what's affordable for those services, what's easy to make, what they can manage. And sometimes it's set up about incentivising parents to send the children to the centre. What do you mean by incentivising? We have a lot of centres, particularly where it's a pretty fierce market in the suburbs. Centres will advertise that they're providing food for the children who attend their services rather than parents having to provide food. And that sounds great, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's high quality food. It doesn't necessarily mean that the centre has set aside a sufficient budget or a sufficient number of people to make that food. They're really using it as a marketing exercise. And so that's why you end up in the position where some children are growing hungry or they're not having high quality food and educators are driven to supplement it. Tamika Hicks has 23 years experience as an educator and owner of early childhood education and care centres. And for her, much of this rings true, claiming to have seen the good, the bad and the ugly. The bad is where children are just income earners where children are fed poor food that is low cost, high filling, high carbs, saturated fats. Children still getting a lot of processed foods, high in salt, meals being filled with a lot of carbs like rice, pasta, not a lot of protein, very minimal fruit being provided. And children who may be fussy eaters because Let's face it, there are a lot of children out there that are fussy eaters that are getting given crackers and things that don't meet the requirements that they need for food during the day because the centre just won't provide it. And I've seen a lot of children just going without, then their behaviour spikes. What happens when their behaviour spikes? Then they get labelled for different things because of their behaviours instead of taking a holistic look at what nutrition's been provided during the day in terms of having an effect on children's behaviour, then educators are getting burnout because they're dealing with different behaviours at the end of the day and it's a vicious cycle and, it, you know, that's the ugly for me. We'll come to the good in a minute. 
But this raises huge issues for parents because the research suggests that in some centres, you can't necessarily rely on the menus that the centre says it's giving to the kids. Helen Gibbons of the United Workers Union again. When we did our research, we asked educators exactly that question and they said that it was routinely not what children were receiving. They were routinely not getting what was on the published menu and instead getting a much more simplified meal of a significant amount of rice or a significant amount of pasta. So things that really kind of pad out a meal and pad it out in a reasonably cheap way rather than loading up on vegetables and things that might provide more nutritional value to children. It's hard to know how much money each early childhood centre allocates to food. You hear ranges from under a dollar a day per child to over five dollars. Helen Gibbons believes this problem of inadequate food is focused on the for-profit sector. We've consistently found that poor menus and food provision is a much more significant problem in the for-profit sector than the not-for-profit sector. Now, there's always grey areas around the edge. There's, there's always some for-profit providers who do a great job and some not-for-profit providers who do a terrible job. But on the whole, we've found that the profit motive significantly squeezes costs across the board in a long daycare centre and food and menu provision is one of those costs. It doesn't have to be this way. There are examples of where it's done well. Bonnie Searle of the Queensland Brain Institute. I have personally visited a group of childcare centres that have a dietitian full-time. They have a commercial kitchen with a chef and kitchen staff and they produce the most beautiful food. It can be done, but it takes the owner to really be invested and care about food and see food as really important and actually invest money into the whole process. And this was a group of centres, so I assume that having a commercial kitchen actually made a lot of financial sense as well. Why is this allowed to happen, you might ask? Well, the early childhood education and care sector has a set of quality standards against which they're judged. Karen Thorpe believes they're inadequate when it comes to food and nutrition. The national quality standards for early education and care in quality area two, it's about child health and safety, it does specify that healthy food should be promoted. It doesn't require any provision of food in services. So at the moment, there isn't any requirement for any service to provide food. So even if a, an inspector comes in, has a look and find, looks at the menu or looks at the food and finds it's poor... There's no penalty for the childcare centre? Not really, no, because it doesn't fit into any of the items in the quality standard that they are inspecting. In the analysis, we saw lots of emphasis on health and safety. So the temperature of food, how food was handled with gloves, if children with allergies were catered for, and all this is incredibly important. But there was no emphasis on the actual food that was provided. Karen Thorpe believes there are straightforward solutions that could help quite quickly. We have to ensure that all children from birth to five attending early education and care have adequate food and adequate nutrition in their day, remembering that some children can be in those services between 10 and 12 hours and that in the first five years or 2,000 days, children can spend 10,000 hours in long-day care settings. There should be supply-side funding, at least to those services that are in the most disadvantaged areas, and Australia has a very good database in which we can indicate which services there are. 
if we can't do it for all, we can at least do it for our most disadvantaged. The second is that we need to ensure that our national quality framework and these quality standards against which services are rated look at the right things. They look at not whether children get lots of water or talk about healthy food so much as whether they are actually providing the food. And that might extend beyond looking at menus because we go into services and observe and sometimes we will see menus that look very healthy, but that is not what the children eat. Otherwise, says Professor Thorpe, this is cementing the disadvantage gap when children are laying down the development that will last their lifetime. Food in childcare is far more than just a nice to have. We are setting up patterns in which some children have more than others. And to give you an anecdote, we have services that we go into where not only children have a chef who provides individual meals, but we have a chef providing meals for parents at the end of the day to take home or a croissant and coffee to take with them as they go. And we have other services that we attend in which we see children desperate to eat when they get there because they're hungry not being able to eat because they've got to eke out food during the day. So there are huge contrasts in what is happening in services and the disparity between our most advantaged and our most disadvantaged is huge. And when we put into the mix that food is a basic right, but it's also a basic need for brain development, we are indeed, instead of utilising the huge developmental opportunity that early education and care provides, if we don't provide food we're sort of scuppering ourselves right at the beginning. Laureate Professor Karen Thorpe of the Queensland Brain Institute. Not an easy story to tell. No, I think the word you used in there was heartbreaking and that's absolutely how I felt, just thinking about my own kids and how vulnerable they are when they're so little. Yeah, well, you know, we're waiting on government responses to a few things on early childhood because they've made some promises on increasing services for early childhood education. Um, and... I, you know, there are two reports. One is the ACCC, the Australian Competition Consumer Commission, which looked into pricing supply of early childhood services. It didn't mention this area much at all. In fact, not at all. Then the Productivity Commission is looking at early childhood uh, education and care too, and it put out an interim report. And in fact, submissions are closing quite soon. And, um, and again, they've not made any uh, mention of it yet, at least in their interim report. So we asked the Minister for Early Childhood, Anne Ali, for a response. Incidentally, Anne Ali comes from Western Australia, and Western Australia is the other state where very similar findings have been made about early childhood education and care and nutrition. Anyway, a spokesperson got back to us and basically said, where services choose to provide food, there are requirements, they say, under the National Quality Framework to ensure it's nutritious and adequate in quantity. That was not necessarily what was said in the story, but that's what the spokesperson is saying. The national regulations require services that choose to provide food to give regard to the dietary requirements of individual children, a child's growth and development, and needs in any specific cultural, religious or health requirements. And uh, they're supposed to have policies and procedures relating to nutrition and dietary requirements monitored by state and territory regulatory authorities. And then goes on to say that they will consider the final recommendations of the Productivity Commission inquiry and the future of the early learning system as we chart, and I'm quoting, a course to universal early childhood education and care. And we'll have the complete um, response on our website. 
It is hard to sort of put this onto one sector, though, when really it's a symptom of a really bigger problem around food insecurity in Australia. That's right. But in this sector, as uh, Karen Thorpe indicated, you could just be very targeted for kids who are coming into early childhood education and care rather than solving the problem as a whole, which is about massive disadvantage, particularly in this time of inflation and people finding cost of living increases and hard to afford food in many situations. In this case, if you targeted subsidies, as Karen Thorpe's argument, two areas of disadvantage, and we've got very good data now on areas of disadvantage when it comes to childhood development. We've got things like the Australian Early Development Index, which shows where you've got, which shows by postcode and suburb where you've actually got uh, disadvantage in terms of, or risk in terms of early development. So you could actually just target it there and you could call it a Band-Aid, but it's actually targeting services and food to kids who, um, who need it most. Yeah, and at such a crucial developmental age. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.